Jim Farrell's gone into base for Stafford. And under breaking, Leclerc has gone into the barriers at the penultimate turn. Perez ahead of Stroll, ahead of Ricardo behind. Oh, it's a tight finish. It's a photo finish. Adding another championship to his collection. It's Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. Hello and welcome to F1 in Review, Series 3, Episode 1. Like the F1 season has returned in a unique and unusual way, so has this podcast. It will be no surprise for you to hear that we are no longer in Southampton, we are no longer at the university, and we are in separate uh, households of where we've been told to reside until the near future. I'm as joined as ever by Liv, Tristan and Angus and we're here to dissect and to look back on the two Austrian Grand Prix uh, which happened last week and I believe the week before if I'm correct. So we finally have got racing here today uh, of this season of 2020 and um, what, what do we think of what we've seen so far? Very exciting, can't lie. Um, it's been a long way. It's been the longest off-season in F1 history I believe, about 200 odd days but um, yeah, super excited that it's back finally. I think it's it's fantastic that we're back because I've been really bored about F1. Finally persuaded my girlfriend to watch Formula One with me. And uh, I did ask her afterwards, you know, would you like to prepare a statement for form, you know, for, for this podcast? And she did record it, so I, I wrote it down. She said, um, yeah, it was good. Which for <laughs> her, that, it, it was in Venice, the first race she'd seen. And it was the, the first uh, Austrian Grand Prix. So she, she couldn't have had a baptism of fire. She was asking me questions like, you know, what happens if you don't put on the tyres correctly? And of course, then the tyres fell off. She was asking me these questions mm. and then popping up in the race. The only, th- the only thing that didn't happen this time was she asked what happens if the drivers hit each other? Um, so I'm glad that question got answered in the, in the following race. But it, the season's going so well so far. Absolutely, I agree. And like you said, it's the perfect first race to her to what for her to watch. And I feel like as well, it was the perfect first race to for us to have back after the break. We were dying. We were so desperate for another Formula race one race to happen. I've been watching Drive to Survive over and over. Old races. I don't know about you guys, but I w- was watching the old races that they were showing on the Saturdays on the F1 channel yeah. and on Sky Sports. But yeah, it's just not the same, is it? So it finally kind of felt a bit surreal um, when it actually arrived. I was like, are you sure? It didn't feel like I should be, I should get too excited in case it was ruined yet again, like with Australia. But it happened and it was absolutely brilliant, as you said. Yeah, I mean, talking about surrealness in Formula One this season, a team which has been engulfed by this has been, well, Ferrari. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. It's quite clear we weren't expecting a lot from this team, even back in February, pre-lockdown and pre-coronavirus. They were set to be the third fastest team uh, in Barcelona. But things have just spiralled out of control, unravelled horribly. And it's it's been probably one of the worst starts Ferrari's ever had to an F1 season. I mean, uh, mainly to Bonotto, the team principal, I hope I'm saying that name correctly, said um, that ultimately fans shouldn't expect a lot. And he's absolutely correct. Uh, the highest qualifying time on t- in terms of position uh, has been seventh place with Charles Leclerc. Um, he's got a second place, um, of course, in the Austrian Grand Prix, but there's been two DNFs. Vettel's already out of the door. Upgrades have failed in the Styrian uh, Grand Prix. And Ross Braun, the ex-team uh, principal of Ferrari from the glory days of the early 2000s, has said that Ferrari faced a very long road back to success. There's been two DNFs. It's all gone horribly wrong. Tristan, I believe you're the man to tell us a bit more 
about the failure which has been the prancing horses yeah, of Ferrari. Yeah, well, so, so Ferrari's not just failure and their fall has been, well, surrounded with FIA, so interference, team angst at them, and clearly there's been some, you know, backdoor dealings. So we, we should, I think we should talk about the deals between the FIA and Ferrari or lack thereof of information about this this whole engine problem, which I think is... Uh, the cornerstone to what what the the Ferrari's problems are this year. So, firstly, you know, as as we have seen, um, the FIA won't actually release details about what the engine changes that Ferrari have had to implement this year to be sort of legal are. But what we do know is uh, that all the Ferrari engine supply teams have had problems. So, I I, I started looking at some of the times. So the Ferrari qualifying pole in Austria last year uh, was one minute, three seconds. And this year it was one minute, three seconds, 0.923. So they're nine hundredths of a second slower. So then I thought, well, okay, well, let, let's take a look at Alfa Romeo. Their qualifying lap this year was 105.224. And last year it was 104.166. Also about nine hundredths of a second. So then I thought, hmm, let's take a look at Haas. Now, uh, in 2019, Magnussen got a qualifying time of 104.072. And this year, it was 105.164. Guess what? You know, about a second loss. So this isn't a scientific um, model I'm using, but it does look awfully suspicious. So clearly, the Ferrari-powered F1 cars are losing about a second in time, depending on how the... How good the drivers are um so that and the fact that the sf 1000 car is effectively an sf 90 car with a few aero bits attached uh, starts to play into to giving us a better picture of what's going wrong at ferrari we are in now the penultimate season of these rules supposedly oh. next year we were supposed to get the changes to the aero the cars were going to get a bit fatter you're going to get the skirts and so if you were ferrari you would think right i'm going to divert all of my resources into producing that car this is something that mercedes always does they get on designing new cars uh, years in oh. advance that we know they put loads of resources towards the next set of rules and that's why they've been so good uh, for the last few years um, and so if you're Ferrari, you're thinking, well, you know, who cares about the SF1000? Because next year we're going to get these big rule changes. So what do you do? You take your, la- your last year's car, which was, you know, good enough. You stick a few aero bits on it and you move on. And then, of course, COVID-19 happens. And suddenly they get told, by the way, you're going to use this car for two more years. And Ferrari, that's 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 huge. Two years of the same rubbish car. So this is why I think that they had to bring in all of these new upgrades for the second time in austria uh, so this is where i think ferrari's sort of spiral has ended up starting off with a rubbish engine that you know is now legal and perhaps 900 seconds slower followed by the fact that the sf1000 is just not really worth their effort because they didn't really dedicate many resources to it and now they're having to stick things on in order to try and get the car up to speed? Um, I would say that it definitely seems to be that way, especially the th- some of the things you just told me. I wasn't aware of some of those facts and figures, especially with the um, just about one second time off from last year. So I'm really interested to hear what you said about that. Um, and I think that that is probably an absolute key reason for what's going on right now. But I would also like to mention, I'm sure you guys will agree a little, um, is there just seems to be a different attitude there right now. They, For me, they're, they're just 
they're down as a team, as a group of people. And I think you've got to have this positivity in the drivers and in the team. And after la- after the first weekend, I just really think that they've their attitude has just has just sunk. And I think as well with the whole issue about Sebastian and that controversy that he uh, he um, announced that no one had any idea about the fact that he he hadn't even been involved in talks um, before they ch- they ended his contract and spoke with um, with signs. It 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 seems to me that like that's a fractured group of people. And although of course it's mostly about the cars, I think that's definitely worth bearing in mind when we talk about the success and the lack of success with the teams we're discussing today. I have to agree with uh, Liv's point about the whole team being down. It's it's almost I, I, I couldn't like put my finger on what started this downward spiral, but there are if you think back to the last time they won a championship of any sort was in 2008 when they won the constructors championship, and since then they've been through various operational errors. You could only probably pinpoint I'd say maybe around 2017-18 when the new regulations came in, when they had you could say the concrete fastest car over a period of like half a season or a full season, um, but every other time whether that's in the Alonso years or the Vettel years or now in the, what I suppose will, in the, in the future years will become the Leclerc years, their car has just not been up to scratch at all. For, 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 I think back to the early hybrid years when um, they had a rubbish engine and a rubbish car. Then they improved the engine. They really came back on the engine. when it, And then in coming into the new regulations in 2017, they had a good engine and a good car. So it's almost like I'd say their, their engine kind of like... When they have been doing well, it has carried them. Like last year, when their engine was just about legal, apparently, for a bit, um, they had really good pace. They took nine pole positions, I think, last year in total. So I, I would like to highlight the idea of drivers. Do you think Ferrari are shooting themselves in the foot by getting rid of someone like Vettel, or is it just opening the door for someone better to take his place and perhaps progress the team forward? Tom, I... Are you a fan of, of the Ferrari Vettel or do you think his time has come to, to move down? Has this said they'll take him? <laughs> well, I think he's, they're probably the only constructors that will take him at this point. I mean, all the seats are filling up across the grid that he could possibly go to, Renault being an example. I mean, yeah, I mean, on that point, I think Ferrari have really failed to manage their two drivers uh, for an extended period of time. I mean, you, when you had Vettel and Raikkonen going together, Raikkonen was undisputedly the second driver. Vettel was the first driver, very hierarchical in nature. And once you brought in Charles Leclerc in the 2019 car, which let be, let's be honest, if we're looking at it from the sort of clear manufacturing model end product um, type of thing, they were they undisputably have the best car. They should have won that championship or indeed more races. But they failed to manage the two drivers. They didn't expect Leclerc, in my opinion, to do as well as he did. Vettel certainly didn't. I think he was caught in his heels very much, thinking he'd be undisputably be the number one driver. And I think that really that really stunned him and he never really got back onto his feet. Um, should he have gone or should he have, should he be replaced for the next season? I think definitely. Um, I'm not too sure if Sainz is the person. I think Sainz is probably one for the future. He's definitely going to be a more compliant driver driver than Vettel is. Um, you won't see a situation uh, in Russia in 2019 mm. uh, with Sainz in the car and Leclerc in the other. That's all I'll say. But the manner in which it was done, insofar that okay, coronavirus is partly responsible for this, insofar that there was no racing um, before... Uh, his contract was axed insofar that he's now racing for a team that he's no longer a part of. That definitely adds another factor and a negative factor of that into the whole team dynamic. So it's almost the perfect storm 
where they've now got a bad car or a worse car than before, and now even worse driver or team relations. Okay, so moving on now to the midfield uh, of Formula 1 and of the last few races, it's quite clear that Lando Norris is the star so far of the rest, if we're talking outside of the three big teams. He's finished third and fifth, and ahead of his teammate, and as we said, future Ferrari driver Carlos Sainz, there's no doubt this 20-year-old from Bristol has made an electric start to this unique season. Uh, Lib, you've been keeping a close eye on his progress and how well he's been doing. What do you think is the main reason he's been so successful in the last two races and not his teammates? Yeah, so there's a lot to discuss here. I feel like we'll, do, we'll just unpack to start with like the results that he has had and then we'll maybe just talk about the reason for. So it is key to remember that this is Lando Norris's second season like he's in his early stages of his f1 career last year was his rookie season he finished a solid 11th place which is not bad at all when you look at the performance of other rookies um and of course he did actually out qualify carlos at one point i'm pretty sure last season so think about it he's 20 years old it's his second season and he's only competing in his 22nd grand prix i believe it is the first weekend in austria um so coming in third position obviously was absolutely outstanding and i think we can all agree he was the centre of attention when it came to the podium at the end. You know, seeing seeing the others up there was not quite a surprise, but seeing Andrew there was such a huge moment. And I think not just a huge moment for us fans, but for himself and for his career. And I think it's really boosted his confidence. I don't think we expected this at all from the drive from the young driver from what we experienced last season. Yes, it was good, but we none of us, including him, could have imagined this early success from the first race. And then obviously in the second one, we saw some really confident manoeuvres. We saw him actually pushing other cars and really getting into the action, which I feel like, I don't know if you agree, and we'll talk about it later, I'm sure that last season he wasn't really doing that. So what a start, like where can we go from here really is what I'm thinking as a, as a fan of him and of McLaren. Um, he's third in the driver's standings, like the only two people above him are the Mercedes drivers, like can you get much better than that at this point in a non-Mercedes car? No. So that's a really good um, place to be in. I feel as if this short season maybe have benefited him in a way because he's riding on this wave of these two weekends. And if he keeps up on it long enough and the season's short enough, he may still be high up in those points when we do finish. But yeah, so that's sort of what he's been what he's been up to, the achievements he's had in the past few weeks. But you asked Tom why I think that might be. Um, I feel, as I mentioned, there's an increased confidence. I don't know how that's that's happened and what that's come from, but you could, he seems different in his attitude. Yes, he's still playing around. He's the joker of the paddock, but he's really arrived for the season with a fire burning in him. Maybe that's he wants to prove his skill against Carlos Sainz. Now Carlos is going to be um, stepping up. Well, will it be stepping up? We'll have to see how well Ferrari do, but yeah. stepping up. All eyes in McLaren are, are on Carlos Sainz. The media, the fans, the team and Ferrari, they're all looking at him. So really, Norris can just sort of get on with things a little bit more and not and not have to worry so much about what people think. So I think that that's something that is a, a definitely a reason for his success. The car seems good. Um, obviously, we haven't, I haven't spoken much about the car, but there's a decent pace. What are you guys thinking about Norris? Do you think this is just a lucky spell or could he really be getting there? I think there should be more emphasis on the car. I, I love Norris, but um, it's interesting you talk about pace uh just just looking mm -hmm. at the qualifying results from uh the other day we find that uh, mclaren was setting a 103.6 red bulls a 103.4 and lewis hamilton 102.9 so you know the, these cars are pretty close there's no there's no doubt that this is the best mclaren that we have seen and 
Uh, Science and Norris did something that no other McLaren driver has done since 2011. Two consecutive fastest laps. So they achieved what Hamilton and Button did nine years ago. And it seems like the McLaren car really lights up when it's light, when there's hardly any fuel in it. That's when it seems to be really, really fast, which does benefit both uh, Norris and Sainz. We, we, you know, Norris is a great driver and Sainz is a great driver, but I feel like this is the first time where you've seen proper talent in the car and the car underneath them that they can trust and push to the absolute limit. Hmm. So the battle is really heating up in the midfield. We've got, as you said, McLaren, who are performing so excellently at the top of the grid. We've got Renault, who are coming back now, Esteban Ocon, uh, finishing in ninth. And let's not forget Daniel Ricciardo in the same position as well uh, in the Styrian Grand Prix. Uh, and as well, we've also got the Racing Point car, as it's been nicknamed the uh, Pink Mercedes. Let's not kid ourselves, it is a direct <coughs> copy of the Mercedes car from 2019. Um, and we've seen recently that Renault have actually protested against the legality of the Racing Point car, stating it is a infringement on the rules and basically they haven't designed their own cars. Um, Angus, you've had a, a closer look at this uh, for us. What are your thoughts on what's going on on and off the track here in the midfield teams? Yeah, so... Um yeah, like Thomas said, we're going to be, I'm going to be focusing on the whole thing at Racing Point. Um, to start off, I'm going to, I think, to sort of fully understand it, I'm going to do a bit of, it's not going to be a full history lesson, but we're going to give a bit of context to, um, to that team. So, Racing Point started off as Force India back in 2008, came onto the F1 grid. Um, it's had some of the smallest budgets out of any team on the F1 grid, but it's been known for punching very much above its weight. Um, five consecutive top six finishes from 2013 to 2017 in the Constructors' Championships. Often gets on the podium five times in those five years, which for, for that level of team is a very, very commendable figure. Um, however, despite being known for saving money, etc., Financial troubles had been a threat for many, many years, um, and they finally materialised in early 2018 and mid-2018 when the team went into administration and basically ceased to exist. They had to be rescued by a consortium led by Lawrence Stroll, Lance Stroll's dad, of course. Um, he bought the remaining assets to the team so that it could compete in the remainder of the 2018 championship. Um, so the next year and a bit was kind of a bit of a rebuilding phase in 2019, they sort of bucked the trend of their previous um, their previous high finishes. They dropped to seventh in the constructors' championship with only seventy three points, uh, apart from a fluke fourth place for Lance Stroll in Germany in the very in the chaotic, crazy wet race. Uh, their best result was only sixth place, achieved by Perez in Belgium, so nowhere near the podium really. Um, but they the, they themselves had admitted that it would be a rebuilding year after the financial struggles they'd had. Um, so going into two thousand twenty. The first bit of news they had was that uh, Lawrence Stroll had led a, another consortium to invest in Aston Martin um, in return for a stake in Aston Martin themselves. And that they would promise to reinvest in the Formula One team, that is Racing Point, and it will be renamed Aston Martin Racing in 2021. Um, so before this manufacturer came in, they were looking at the last year of the regulations as it would have been, or what is now going to be the last two years of the regulations. They were trying to work out the best way to maximise their resources. So it seems they've taken a leaf out of Haas's book. So Haas, when they came to Formula One, had a very close uh, partnership with Ferrari, basically took advantage of a rule whereby um, they have, are able to sell parts to each team, are able to sell parts to each other, um, as long as they are not sharing aer aerodynamic data. 
Um, this was a ruling that came in in 2015. Um, Haas had a lot of questions thrown at them when they did this. However, it was ruled that what they were doing were legal. Um, and Racing Point decided they could do the same thing. They saw that what Haas did in 2018 specifically, where they came fifth in the Constructors' Championship. Um, so Racing Point basically did the same thing. And as Tom said, when their car was rolled out pre-season testing this year it got a lot of looks because it had a very very lot of similarities to a certain championship winning car from the previous year um which is why it was dubbed the pink mercedes um the very the very technical stuff is incredibly technical but the basic main features that were very similar force india had adopted the very slim nose that mercedes had uh, from their 2019 car which basically was part of a number of aerodynamic dynamic changes which helped accelerate the airflow towards the leading edge of the floor. Um, and combined with having a lower rake angle than uh, the previous year's car, that's Racing Point, that is, um, this all led to greater aerodynamic performance. Um, however, the technical geniuses in F1, uh, very eagle-eyed, so they weren't not going to notice that it, the similarity of the car to the Mercedes. Some expressed concerns, uh, mainly their fellow midfield teams, so that's Renault, uh, Haas, despite having done the exact same thing, arguably a few years earlier, but there's you know freedom to protest. Uh, the Racing Point technical director Andrew Green basically admitted that they had taken a copy of Mercedes's design and not copied it, but based their car on it. He also uh, one defence that he used was that um, there was already close cooperation between uh, Racing Point and Mercedes. Mercedes uh, provide engine and powertrain components to Racing Point, um, as well as gearbox components. So there's inevitably a bit of cooperation there, is what Andrew Green said. So the Austrian Grand Prix, um, Perez came sixth and Stroll had to retire with a powertrain problem. So the true pace wasn't really shown. But I'd say the true pace really was shown in the second race in Austria, the, the named Styrian Grand Prix. So in the wet qualifying, they very, they very severely struggled. Perez uh, came in 17th and Stroll was in 13th. However, in the race, Perez absolutely shot through the field, up to sixth, in the, fi the final result. Um, if you look really into the into the race itself, he would have been fourth had he not uh, knocked off his front wing when trying to overtake the second Red Bull of Alex Albon. So the fact that he came through the field with such pace suggests that it was definitely by far the fastest of the midfield cars. Um, it easily cleared the McLarens, easily cleared the Renault of Daniel Ricciardo, um, and the others were just no contest for them. So that really showed the pace of the car. Um, and... Stroll as well, just to mention, came from 13th to 7th, again, emphasising the pace that the car could like drag itself through the midfield. Um, so this was the, the cue for Renault to launch a protest after the race. They specifically, if we look deeper into the protest, they specifically questioned the legality of the racing point brake ducts. Mm. Now, these are parts which um, these the teams are supposed to independently design themselves. Racing Point could purchase certain parts of the Mercedes from Mercedes and they could look at the design of the Mercedes like they did and try and emulate certain parts. But brake ducts have to be independently designed and compiled by the teams themselves. So what's happened is because of the protest and the protest being admitted by the FIA, the, the brake ducts of Racing Point and Mercedes were impounded in Park Fermi after the race for investigation. We don't know when the investigation will conclude. It could be could be very soon. It could be a few races. There's no... There's not too many precedents in F1 history of similar like protests. Obviously, the Haas, the Haas one is a similar example from the last few years, but that was something which was sorted before Haas came into F1 because it was they, they'd said from for a while, for a year or two, that they were going to collaborate closely with Ferrari. Um, so an, an example of this happening in a season 
is actually quite unusual. So we don't know when the um, the results may come. However, there is a possibility still you could say that Racing Point could be disqualified from the first two races if their brake ducts are found to have too many similarities to those of Mercedes. So it's a saga which is kind of one of the main stories of F1 this year, dating back to testing and sort of lasting throughout the enforced break because of COVID-19. And it's certainly something which I think could definitely roll on because um, Racing Point, it seems, are not going to budge on their starts. They're not going to back down and all of a sudden change the brake ducts um, because I read one article which said that if you change like in terms of designing your own brake ducts it can gain like it's, it can gain teams a surprising amount of time like up to a second a lap in some places if you um, have to design your own brake ducts um, so they're not exactly going to sacrifice that performance that they that they've gained from this so it's basically a case of racing point are going to remain stubborn with it and if they're punished the consequences could be pretty dire for them but it looks like they're not going to back down, um, but it's certainly it's definitely an interesting subplot to a year when maybe the last year before the new technical regulations, um, you might have thought that the top three teams would remain in place and the midfield would be a bit uh, distanced, socially distanced, you could say. Hmm. Um, but Racing Point have definitely shaken up the order and uh, provided a very interesting subplot to uh, 2020 F1 with their um, with the arguably copying of Mercedes, the Mercedes design and. Who would have thought that brake ducts would have caused this much, much interest? The question is whether or not we want to allow teams to go into Formula 1 and just completely steal the, the, the best design car and use it for themselves. And there are very good reasons why we shouldn't allow that. Firstly, because it doesn't allow a team to know why their, their car is good. They can do best guesses, but the reality is Racing Point didn't really know where the, the performance was really coming from their car because they didn't know how to set it up in the wet, right? Also, <laughs> you cannot direct your own design team to continue increasing the performance from a car if you didn't know where you began. It's like having the end part of a mathematical formula and not understanding the beginning bit. Yes, you might get the right answer, but next year you're going to have to find the answer again and you're not going to know where to start. And oddly enough, this might well shoot Racing Point in the foot because if this was the last year of the technical regulations, they could have put all their resources into next year's car, copied Mercedes this year and gone, we came third. Look how great we are. But they're going to have to try and improve next year. And whether or not they're going to be able to develop the car, or, you know, or they're just going to have to copy Mercedes this year, right? That's the two options, isn't it? They either have to develop a car which they don't really know why it's great or they're going to copy Mercedes. And I think this sets a dangerous precedent for Formula One. You can't just have teams actively copying, completely copying the other teams because it's, it's no good for, for, for us. It's no good for the teams themselves. And I just think it, it, the FIA should look at the car and if it does break the rules in any way, it should be you know disqualified. And I feel like every podium they get from this every time they pass mclaren and renault and williams it, it's just yet another slap in the face to all those companies that do their best because imagine if williams had decided to copy mercedes instead they they could have probably done better but the formula one is about the honor i'm done <laughs> go on Liv. i agree with all that I don't really have much to say apart from, for me, just like clearly with Renault, it definitely hit home um, in this second race. Yes, it's possible people have done it before, but moving from that 17th position to that fourth at one point, 
for um well, for Perez absolutely blew me away. I was very shocked and impressed. And for me, that was a point where I thought, okay, <laughs> this really is like this. This, this car it, it, in Barcelona, we all, everyone discussed, everyone rumors here, rumors there, but clearly, right now, we have our evidence that this is a Mercedes basically car. You know, we see all the memes on the internet. You know, corporate wants you to spot the difference between these two pictures. I can't. They're the same. This is the same car and this is the same this is the performance that a mercedes car could perform but not a usually not usually a racing point or a force india car so it's very clear and i can absolutely understand this weekend in particular being the one that then tipped renault over the edge to make that decision it was very obvious out in front of our eyes it was brilliant by perez and i, do, I think it's important not to forget that i, I think perez is very underrated but mm. that car you know something's going on there and so yeah i completely understand it and i i agree tristan it it does feel a little bit like not not quite right as you said just f1 is very gentlemanly you know this is a proper classic british sport we are like motor racing as a nation is great but it doesn't seem to me that fair because then yeah as you said well, well if williams had done that they would be you know doing brilliantly but they're taking things as they believe is right and what i think we believe is right as well and yes they're struggling but at least they're not cheating interesting so very quickly i'll give my views i mean yes it is absolutely morally wrong what they've done i mean it's against the whole spirit of engineering innovation what formula one's all about but if we are looking at racing point i mean angus mentioned this team was on the brink of administration liquidation and ultimately this the team wouldn't have been in the sports had it not been for the new consortium so that being mm -hmm. said this team needed a shot in the arm via cash the best way you're going to get cash is by ultimately performing well in races winning races getting more sponsors so that's why they've done it. and i understand exactly why they have done it even though ultimately it's a very sort of short-term thinking uh, and as well i mean this is realistically under the current rules before they change in 2021 where you get we get a more standardized process uh, in my view this is pretty much the only way in which a team like racing point is ever going to have a chance uh, competing with the big teams yes okay as i say it is quote unquote cheating as Liv said it is morally wrong but if you want to do well in a sport this is the only way you're able to do it currently and that's almost shines a light in my view about why the rules have to change so that you stamp this sort of stuff out rant over friends that's a very good no i agree with that that's a very good point i've said this before that I would absolutely love to chuck every single one of those drivers in the same car and see what happens. I wish Formula One was all, honestly, that would make, that would be, to me, the pure racing that we want to see. This is a great opportunity. Every driver says, you know, if I had the Mercedes car, I would exactly. win races. So Stroll, we put you in a Mercedes. <laughs> you can't even get past Ricardo without torpedoing him. That, this is something I think we'll come back to. But hey, you know, this is a great. This is a great um, opportunity to see how great the drivers are when you have, when you put them in a Mercedes car. And mm -hmm. as you said, Perez did fantastically well. And you're right. M my understanding of his ability has definitely gone up since I've seen how good he can do in a car that can really push him down, down the, uh, the track with him. Okay, we will return, all four of us, next week to talk about the Hungarian Grand Prix and to discuss and see whether or not our predictions and our gut instincts so far are beginning to ring true. Thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you next episode.